Welcome to Horsepower to Hyperloops, Kettering University's official podcast, where we serve up a smorgasbord of fascinating people, groundbreaking ideas, and noteworthy advancements in fields as diverse as mobility, healthcare, engineering, and technology. We're talking about transportation, so cars, trucks, buses, trains, marine, there's some boat and yacht applications that uses batteries, even in space, drones for space usage. Because again, a battery is a device that you can charge it up and it's lighter weight, it's quieter than some of the conventional technologies. And so its applications are vast and wide. That was Denise Gray. For the last six and a half years, president of LG Energy Solutions Tech Center, responsible for business development, design, and development of battery systems for electric vehicles around the world. Currently head of LG Energy Solutions North America External Affairs and Government Relations, Gray was discussing the current and future role of batteries, not just in electrified vehicles, but across a wide range of uses. I'm Tim Troop Noonan, your host for Horsepower to Hyperloops. Denise joined me for a wide-ranging discussion about this very complex topic, not only the opportunities batteries present for a greener future, but also about the lithium that goes into them, the entire supply chain, recycling, and the overall environmental and fiscal challenges and trade-offs represented by vehicle electrification. Denise Gray, thank you very much for joining us today on Horsepower to Hyperloops. You're in a fascinating sector of the energy industry in terms of uh, lithium-ion batteries and their use in not only electric vehicles, which are are coming, but uh, many other uses. Uh, Tell us a little bit. um, Everyone knows that there's more electric vehicles, but it's a bigger, broader, more complex industry than that. So tell us a little bit about your company and the industry and and where it's going, where it is now, where it's going. So I would say that we are in an exciting time. Electrification, the industry, there's so much happening when it comes to our industry. The goal for all of us is to figure out how to use technology, use innovation to reduce greenhouse gases. Number one, that might have been a subtle requirement in the past. But in my 40 years of working in this industry, it is front and foremost, the most important thing that we can do. And batteries offer an opportunity to have an energy storage unit for renewables. So if you think about, we've got wind, we've got sun, we've got water, and they're all natural energy producers. You've got to have something to store that energy. And therein lies the goal of a battery. It really is an energy storage device that can take that energy and be made available to the consumer in any form that they want. For example, I've been working in transportation, automobile industry, vehicle industry all my life. And when we want to power our vehicles, move our vehicles from point A to point B, you can have a number of different types of propulsion systems to move that vehicle. In the past, we've used internal combustion engines that use fossil fuels. 
Today, there's so many other opportunities to use batteries to move the vehicle from point A to point B. And the battery can be recharged by the grid, by electricity. So you can have the sun, the wind, the water, hydro, providing energy to the grid, and then us plugging in our car that has a battery in it into the grid to bring the electricity into that battery, to store it in the vehicle so that when you're ready to get in your garage and drive off for your morning job, you press on the accelerator paddle and that that powers that vehicle is a battery. So batteries have become a alternative to propulsion systems, an opportunity to have a device in your vehicle that allows you to use non-fossil fuel generated energy. Wow. So you've you've introduced in my head about 143 and a half questions, but tell me a little bit about LG Energy Solutions and your company's role in the industry. So LG Energy Solution has batteries for a number of different applications. We have batteries for your cell phones and your computers and your refrigerators and televisions, but also we have batteries for the automobile and for the grid. So from soup to nuts, for whatever you might need a battery for, LG Energy Solution is a manufacturer, producer, research and developer of that technology. Here in the United States, we've been working, LG Energy Solution has been working with the automobile industry for two decades now in order to continue to refine and develop the batteries for the automobile use. While I was at General Motors, I actually worked with LG Energy Solution. At the time, it was called LG Chem. And we produced together the first high-volume lithium-ion battery in a vehicle called the Chevrolet Volt. I remember the Volt very well. Yeah, it was an amazing opportunity for industry to work with private and public and universities. So LG Energy Solution has been here in the United States for more than 20 years, working with all the different customers in order to bring batteries to meet their needs. So you are, in fact, it's a Korean company, if I'm not mistaken, with a lot of divisions, but the U.S. battery part, LG Energy Solutions, is in fact the largest in the country. Am I not incorrect on that? LG Energy Solutions started its first manufacturing facility in the United States in 2009. And that was actually built right here in the state of Michigan, where the batteries for General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler products, known as Stellantis, are all built right here in the state of Michigan. So it was one of the very first, if not the first, high-volume lithium-ion battery technology being manufactured right here in the United States and right here in the state of Michigan. This business could save the world, Denise, but does the entire industry share the green objectives? I think LG Energy Solution is a very unique company. It has invested in battery technology for the automobile industry for a very long time without turning a profit. And so I think it gives you very clear demonstrated uh, characteristics of the company. It's in it for the long term because number one, it has the technology, has had it continue to refine it, 
and is steadfast focus on providing the technology for the global consumption. Again, as you mentioned, it is a South Korean company, but it recognizes its capability to provide solutions for the globe. So for the United States, for Europe, for China, for the globe, the technology has been made available and continue to to refine it so that it can meet all the applications. And again, we're talking about transportation. So cars, trucks, buses, trains, marine, there's some boat and yacht applications that uses batteries, even in space, drones for space usage. Because again, a battery is a device that you can charge it up and it's lighter weight, it's quieter than some of the conventional technologies. And so its applications are vast and wide. And LG Energy Solution has been completely committed from the very top of the company to continue to develop this technology, to use its own money, as well as collaborating with public companies and public entities in order to bring this technology to fruition. It's been in place for a couple of decades and it plans to be in in, in place for many decades to come. And you're also, you mentioned phones and things like that, but in the transportation industry, you're also in, I guess, smaller things, forklifts, golf carts, things like that. Am I correct? You're correct. As you mentioned, golf carts, as well as industrial, you think about agricultural, you think about machinery that doesn't need people in it, that needs Mm -hmm. to turn over the soil and to plant seeds and to water the different fields. So the talent that continues to be invested in from, from those who are in manufacturing in order to make sure that we have better, smarter manufacturing processes to build these batteries from a greenhouse gas perspective in the most efficient way. Are there alternatives beyond the old combustion engines and lithium ion batteries? Yeah, when we come when you talk about alternatives for propulsion, mm-hmm. there's always been and there continue to be battery electric, there's hydrogen. And so there are hydrogen applications for some very uh, stringent applications. I think of going up Pikes Peak in Denver, Colorado, which is a very steep, long uh, mountain that you're going up in sometimes cold temperatures. And in some applications, batteries, may not be sufficient, where maybe hydrogen might be more sufficient or other alternative propulsion systems. So when I say and talk about batteries, I'm not saying that it's a one size fit all. I've been in this industry long enough to know there's so many applications and there are different technologies that are appropriate for the different applications. I've learned a little about, and I didn't know about the mining of lithium And I saw a very interesting documentary on how it's mined. It never occurred to me, but you got to get lithium somewhere. We don't produce much of it percentage-wise in this country. So tell me a little bit about where we get it, how we get it, how much there is left, et cetera, et cetera, how renewable it is. Talk to me about that beginning piece of the business. You know, we have had to definitely focus on not just producing and creating a battery and putting it in a vehicle but we have to think about the entire supply chain. With the, um, during the COVID years, um, and I'm so glad that they're moving further and further behind us these days, we've recognized supply chain and we've, everybody now talks about the chip shortage 
And right. now the focus on we need to think about not just where the end product is, but how do we get all of the products and that entire supply chain back from your suppliers and that supplier supplier and that supplier supplier. So we talk about the supply chain and we think about the origin of the materials that go into a battery. So we think about lithium, for example, you talk about lithium and lithium is a a natural material that is found in the earth and it has to be mined. And there are places in the in the in the world where it's more plentiful than others. At least that's what we know today. And so places like Australia, like South America, they've got the biggest deposits of lithium that we know of today. There are places in the United States, in North America as well, but not as plentiful as Australia and in South America. And so that material has to be mined out of the earth. And and this is the most amazing part as we think about technology and processes, people who are learning how to mine materials out of the earth can use those same processes to mine lithium out of rock. And so all of the things that we've learned about mining for other materials have to be applied to lithium as well. So Lithium comes out of the earth. Can you think of it as a rock? That material has to be then refined, extracted from that earth, refined, purified, and combined with other materials that allow us to then move these materials into powders. These powders are then mixed with a number of other materials to give us the lithium that can store electrons that we can use in batteries. So There's a number of processes in that whole supply chain of creating batteries that we have to think about, and we have to work with those around the world in order to ensure that we have that material available for our use in automobiles or buses or trucks. It also involves a step. When I think of that, I think of like going in, getting the rock and getting it out, but it involves pools where it sits for a while and cures or something. So you have these great pools of stuff. Am I right on that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so there are are two types of gathering that material. One is just from the rock itself, but then also from these salt areas where salt is produced. And so the material is allowed to manifest itself. And then we pull it from these, these, these salt and seas you hear about. The material is extracted. And then again, it has to be processed. That can take longer to be produced because you have to allow it to materialize in its natural state. But then you pull it from these, these Fulton Seas in order to uh, pull that lithium. And then it has to be processed again and turned into powders and combined with other materials to give us the ability for that, that material to hold energy and to provide energy back for the vehicle or the device that you have. You know, when we talk about the use of the batteries, as we were at the top here, a number of electrified vehicles, cars, buses, trains all over the world is is vast. How much lithium do we have in the earth? Are we going to run out ever? Well, it's interesting. There's some theories on that. Right now, the theory is we've got enough. But You raise an excellent question around recycling. Can we use 
batteries that are no longer applicable for its application, take that material, recycle it, and put it back into the refinement process to be used. And I am extremely happy because there are a number of great people with great minds that are thinking through that. And companies now are being put together. They are materializing to recycle the material so that it can also be be used again to create the new battery. So kind of this circular economy is what people are talking about. And it delights me because I think there's even more innovation that we're yet to see when it comes to lithium and how can we use it, use it effectively and efficiently, and also how we can recycle it so that we can use that into our processes as well. How quickly will the infrastructure, mainly the wide availability of charging stations, catch up with the technology? That's delight number two. I think as we now see that the producers of vehicles, be it cars, trucks, buses, are now recognizing that this is a viable alternative when it comes to propulsion system. Um, They're now recognizing that there's a demand for these vehicles. And there's business cases to say, this is good. Now we're seeing opportunities where now charging stations must be made available so that it's convenient for those who are buying the product as well as fast. And so we're now seeing that various cities and states and the federal government collaborating with car companies and bus companies to take a look at how do we make sure we have charging stations available for people. There may be people living in multi-dwelling facilities where they don't have their own garage. And so how do we make people in apartments or condos have that charging station available? And I'm starting to see an uptick in car companies, vehicle companies now working together to have these charging stations available. I'm seeing companies who are recognizing that this is a good business for them. And now they're bringing more of these charging stations available. Can you imagine we go to the grocery store or the shopping center and there's charging stations available, or we go to the park and maybe it'll induce us to get out and walk a little bit more because there's charging stations at, at public parks now. I think the innovativeness around bringing the charging station, the infrastructure, matching the infrastructure with the number of vehicles that customers are now going to be buying, I see an uptick in that. And so again, back to my delight number two, I'm seeing a lot of interest. I'm seeing a lot of plans being made to make the infrastructure and charging stations available. The other thing you can think about, you know, when we were all working at at our workplace, we were at our workplace more than we were at home. And so having charging stations at workplaces are other opportunities. And so I'm confident that as the demand for electric vehicles is here, and as uh, suppliers like LG Energy Solution is matching that demand and helping and supporting the industry. And I'm confident that charging stations will be there. But we're also continuing to innovate from a battery perspective. We're still working on not just today's lithium-ion battery technology, but we're working on tomorrow's that could help to reduce charging time, 
can go longer range. And so we're not stopping. We're continuing to innovate. And that's what makes this industry so exciting because we have been innovating. We're innovating now and we're innovating for tomorrow's solutions as well. So when I eventually get rid of my existing cars and buy two Teslas <laughs> and I'm plugging them in at home, I've gotten rid of my costs at the gas pump. But how much will my electric bill go up? You know, interesting. You're right. The convenience of being able to charge at home as opposed to going to a gas station, as we would always call them, is one of the pluses when it comes to electric vehicles. The other one is the cost of, of electricity. And that number is varying. Some say it'll cost you 10 cents per kilowatt hour, but I think it's going to vary over time on the cost of that. But it's a lot less. It's fractional to what it costs you at the current gasoline station to fill up your battery, if you will. Given that, back to the green question, 10 million electrified vehicles replace 10 million of the old-style vehicles. There is some economic impact, even with electricity, electric, and with batteries and charging. But is the net impact environmentally of those 10 million battery charging vehicles far less, of course, than the old vehicles? Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Running off of electricity is so much better when it comes to the engine out. We, when I was working on solutions for reducing engine out emissions of pollutants, obviously when you run on electricity, there's no burning of fossil fuel in that vehicle for a full battery electric vehicle, zero out of that particular vehicle. So immediately you have an impact. Additionally, again, when you think about, well, where does electricity come from? We need to make sure that electricity is being created using renewables. And so we need to make sure that continues to go down. We continue to go down that path. And our, uh, our grid, our electric generating companies are all working to have more renewables that's producing electricity. So that has an, a contribution as well. So it has to go all the way back, if you will, to the generation of electricity as well as the manufacturing facilities that we have, we have to make sure they're getting greener and greener and greener. So we're looking at the full scope of how do we uh, reduce greenhouse gases? How do we become carbon neutral? And mm -hmm. the vehicle has an impact because it does not run on fossil fuel. That's a huge impact, but also the electricity grid by which we're charging our vehicle needs to be greener and runoff of renewables, the, the manufacturing facilities that we have in order to build these batteries need to be green as well. And LG Energy Solution has uh, committed to being uh, RE100 and EV100, which means we're going to be running off of renewables at all of our facilities. And so it's the full package when it comes to making a difference to be able to meet the carbon neutrality requirements. What What is, just on a quick aside, what's the average range now for, I'm sure it differs with car and driving driving styles and everything else, but what's the, the average range now and what do you all envision slash hope for 
seven, 10 years, next generation, two generations, three generations down, do you, would you like to increase that by 10% or do you want to double it or triple it? What's, what's going to be the range for, for these looking forward? As an engineer, I was always given the task to make the battery as cheap as possible. Zero will be good. Make it as light as possible. Zero will be good and make the range infinite. So as an engineer, I was always given that challenge. And I'm remembering back in the probably the mid to uh, the 2000s, we had a range of about, you know, 80 miles. And fast forward 20 years later, we've got batteries that in, in many vehicles can go over 300 miles. And there are some companies who also says we, we've got a 500 mile range. Now, when you talk about range, you have to also think about life because everybody wants that vehicle and that battery to live the life of the vehicle as well. And so there's a balance there. You can have infinite range, but your life may be a little bit shorter. Instead of being the um, 10 years life or 15 years life, I may get, you know, half of that. So there's a little bit of a balance on range and life. But Today, the typical range that we're seeing that our batteries, and, and again, it depends on the vehicle that it's in and how they're actually using that battery, but we're seeing 300 is easy these days, and folks are moving to even greater than that. But you also have to balance a 300-mile range battery. You're carrying the weight of that VAT battery in your vehicle every day, and so you know, mass, you know, force is still equal, F is equal to MA. And so if I want it to move, I need to have lightweight. And so there's always a balance, a trade-off, we call it, of parameters to determine what's the right range to put in the vehicle. But clearly in a ICE and an internal combustion engine vehicle, our average range is somewhere around from 250 on very heavy vehicles to maybe 400 for lighter weight vehicles. And so the battery is, has got to at least mirror today's capability for customers to feel like they're not moving backwards, if you will. And so those are some of the trade-offs that vehicle companies are making. How, you know, what should that range be? But today's technology can easily meet 300 miles range with a, an average size vehicle, not the biggest vehicle, the smaller the vehicle, the longer the range can be. Well, now on a larger scale, five years ago, there weren't any EVs around. Now, a bunch of early adopters in my neighborhood have them. And beyond early adopters, you know, people are they're starting to show up. But there's still gas stations everywhere and, and everything. California has put in a law against what the use or the manufacture for 2030 of they all have to be electric vehicles. My question is, and, and you can clarify on, on that issue. My question is, at what point are the vast majority of cars running on batteries and hence we don't see as many gas stations around? When do we get to that point? When will battery electric be the dominant propulsion system? If I could look in that crystal ball, I would, uh, and, and tell you that answer, um, I don't know the real answer. What I do know is that various states and countries are recognizing 
that they want to put in requirements to accelerate the technology, to accelerate the adaption. What that ultimately is, I don't know, because at the end of the day, it requires the customer with real dollars to go in there and buy the vehicle. And so um, customer behavior, I can't predict. But I I can say that many states like California has said, by 2030 or 2035, all new vehicles must be of this kind of uh, battery electric in order to support the reduction of CO2 to help support the carbon neutrality requirements. And, and it's not just in California, but you go around the world and you hear the same thing in big cities like, you know, in Sweden or big cities in, in the UK, like London, you're, you're hearing that around the world, because I think there's a recognition that batteries could be and are a a viable solution for reducing vehicles emissions, reducing or eliminating pollutants coming out of a vehicle itself, as well as looking at what the city wants to do or the country wants to do when it comes to its energy policies. And so I think when might it happen? I can't predict, but I do see a lot of mandates coming out or targets coming out for 2030, 2035, 2050. And so, and I do see more battery manufacturing being uh, stood up here in the United States uh, around the world where they're producing batteries. I see so many commercials on television about the new vehicles that look wonderful that are coming out. And so, what you're seeing is Demand is increasing from the customers. You're seeing that the government policies, be it uh, local, uh, state, or federal, are in support of that. You're seeing investment in dollars that are happening by companies to build manufacturing facilities in order to produce these batteries. You're seeing a lot of discussions around a cleaner grid from electricity and using renewables, be it sun, wind, hydropower. You're seeing all of these things happen. And obviously you're seeing the the price of batteries going down and the capability of batteries going up. So it's almost like the perfect storm where things are coming together that will allow for a larger adaption of battery electric in the years to come. And I wanna also make the one statement. I've been working on alternative propulsion systems for at least 30 years. And Electric vehicles have been around for a long time. General Motors had the EV1 in the late 90s, where it had an all-electric vehicle. But it was a lead-acid battery that had some limitations at that time. Batteries have gone from lead-acid to nickel batteries, and now they're in lithium batteries. So the technology has continued to evolve that allows the feasibility of this being a viable solution for vehicles and other uh, applications to to, to be uh, where we are today. So it's been around for a long time and engineers like me and and technology companies have continued to evolve it to bring us to where we are today. And I would say this very specifically, engineers and scientists have continued to innovate in this area Engineers who've gone to schools like Kettering University, 
where we concentrate on not just where technology has been and where technology is today, but where technology is going tomorrow. And my education at Kettering University, where I was an electrical engineer, I took a ton of controls classes. I took a number of processing classes, materials processing classes. I took a number of what is a vehicle classes. And those opened my eyes to where technology can go. I also would say schools like Kettering University, where they have, uh, you would go to school, but you also would also work in industry hand in hand, I think accelerated my understanding of what could be and where the innovation and where technology could take you. And so it's been a fascinating uh, opportunity and experience. Well, that's exactly where I was going to go next was how did you get from an electrical engineer to most recently head, head of LGS North America, LGES North America, and uh, you sort of explained that because you started at GM. Is that correct? After That's when correct. you were at Kettering? Yeah, actually, I started at GM uh, actually in high school. In high school, I, wor- I went to Cass Technical High School in Detroit, and they had an electronics curriculum. There was only two girls in that class out of the the 35 people, but we learned and I learned at a young age that technology had an infinite opportunity to make a difference at my high school at Cass Tech. And I went on to becoming a, at the time it was General Motors Institute. So that was way back in the day. Now the school is named Kettering University. And I was a General Motors student. So I would work at GM uh, for uh, a semester and then I would go to school for a semester. And at Kettering, I was an electrical engineer, which we had a number of computer science classes uh, intertwined into that curriculum. And uh, once I graduated from Kettering, I continued to work at GM and working in software and controls for the vehicle. So I would look at this as starting in 1986, I began electrifying the vehicle instead of having uh, manual windows where we used to do the crank and crank the windows up and down. Or I would say um, the locks in your car, you would have to each of the locks in the vehicle, you have to manually push them. I worked on electrifying those things back in the 80s, or your radio and entertainment system, or brakes, or steering systems. So as electronics and software began to move into the vehicle, I was in those departments where it wasn't done in the past, but there was opportunity to make the vehicle better. And as I continued on with that, I moved into powertrain engines and transmissions, and we continue to electrify those all the way to where I am today, working on batteries as either a complement to the engine or to replace the engine altogether in a vehicle. Well, what would you describe if a a young student uh, or somebody young in their career was an engineer, uh, somebody from Kettering or somewhere else, came to you and said, look, this is an exciting industry. How do I get into it? What would you tell them? Where do they start? Where do they head? Well, number one, for all students, 
I would say work in the area that's still being developed because it offers you the wider opportunity, the largest opportunity to make an impact. And so for me, as a Kettering University student, or even I would say in my high school, I went into electronics in the 80s, which again, not that many people in electronics and software in the 80s. And I continued to do electronics and software at Kettering University. Why? It piqued my interest. And so that's the second one. Do things that you enjoy doing. Things that continue to pull you, like this gravitational pull that I have into batteries and technology to make the world better. Do things that pull your interest because 40 years later, you'll say, I'm still interested. I'm still learning. And so get an area that there's still technology to be developed. Go into an area that piques your interest. And that can be material sciences new materials to solve today's problems. The third one I would say is don't be afraid to move to different places. I grew up in Detroit. I went to school in Michigan, but I've spent time in California. I worked for a startup company in California. I moved to Europe. I lived in Graz, Austria for a couple of years and moving around and seeing different places. I spent probably years traveling total traveling in China or in Europe, understanding how different people live, walking in their shoes, going to their grocery stores, because now you're coming up with solutions that are not just for where you've experienced in your hometown, but solutions that the global population can use. So that's the third thing. Don't be afraid. Don't be apprehensive about exploring different locations, because in different locations, you're opening up your mind and your ideas to other locations, other circumstances, other. When I went to China and Europe, I recognized that, quite frankly, the smog in areas like California was different than Michigan. The smog in Shanghai, China was different than Michigan. And so the solution set looks different if you're solving for global applications then they might look at if you're solving for local applications. So that's the third thing. So the first one is do something that hasn't been done before. Go into areas of technology that still are that's open for new solutions. Number two, be sure to follow your passion. And then number three, travel. Go to different locations so that you can see what the different world, worlds look like. So your solution sets are larger. That's that's terrific. And I think that's, you know, what, what do they say about the number two that you talk about? If you if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Absolutely. Um, Denise Gray, head of LG Energy Solutions, North America, External Affairs and Government Relations. Thank you for your time today and, and for the insights and information on on an industry that's going to change the world. Join us again to hear Kettering University's podcast, Horsepower to Hyperloops, available from wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>